Father, you are our God. There is no other. The only one who can save, the only one who can transform a life, the only one who can bring people from darkness to light, that is you, that is our God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. The one who is completely sovereign over this universe, completely transcendent in awesome glory and matchless light, and yet completely imminent here with us now, seeking out true worshipers, seeking to dwell. The dwelling place of God is with man. That is staggering. And so, Lord, one day we will see you face to face to sing these praises to you for eternity. But now we get but a glimpse. And so, God, would you continue to worship with us here today through the preaching of your word. Hearts would be stirred and softened and broken and encouraged and refreshed through the glorious truths of your word that we are about by your grace and by your spirit to bring forth. So, God, I pray for power. I pray for the power of your spirit. I can't do this without you. And I don't want to do it without you. I have nothing to say if you don't speak. So God, speak to us. Give us teachable and humble hearts. Lord, laying down our pride, willing to come under the authority of your word, which is for your glory and our good, that we would leave here changed and transformed and encountering the living God in spirit and in truth. May it be so, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. I'm so thankful uh, to be here again with you. So thankful that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. And I love, I got to tell you, I mean, every Sunday is a great Sunday. We get to gather in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. But you know what I find particularly? I just love coming to worship and scaling everything back. No offense, Josh, to your team, but here's the reality is um, I love scaling it back. The instruments, the keyboards, the electric guitars, the lights, all of that, just bringing it back to the heart of worship. Simple, yet supernatural by the grace of God. I love that. And so we intentionally design that because it's so easy, as Josh prayed, to get focused on the stuff focused on the light, focused on the big bands, focused on my preferences, and yet God calls us back to more than a song. I love that. Well, today's text, we're going to be preaching from John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. On the slide it says 22, but it's going to be 21 to 24. And we're in the series, middle of the series, called uh, Towards the Goal, God's Glory in the Church. God's glory in the church. And we're looking at right now these four pillars that you see here. We did unapologetic preaching last week. Now we're on unashamed worship. And by God's grace, over the next two weeks, we will do unceasing prayer and unafraid witness. These are the pillars that our church is built upon and founded upon on the foundation of Jesus Christ. All right, and if you do not have a Bible, our ushers would love to give you one right now. We take God's word seriously here, and so please have a Bible in front of you so you can track with us. Put your hand up high, and the ushers are going to come and put one in your lap. And if you do not have, nice and high, nice and high, and if you do not have a Bible at home, then take that one as a free gift for you, because we would love nothing more than for you to be studying God's word on your own as well. Unashamed worship. 
unashamed worship. You see it right there. And if we could expand that a bit, it says lifting high the name of Jesus through worship. And you say, well, wait, why is, why is this important? Why is lifting high the name of Jesus important? What's so special about this Jesus? We need two more Bibles up at the front here, ushers. What's so special? Three more Bibles. What's so special about Jesus? Why is this important? This whole idea of worship. Why is it a pillar of our church? And it is this, loved ones. It is this. Every single person in this room right now. Yes, you. Everyone say that. Me, me. Go ahead, say me. Yeah, every single person in this room right now is worshiping something. Guaranteed. You and I are worshiping something or someone. How do we know this? Because you were made for it. You were created by God to worship. If you don't believe me, just take some time this week uh, to look at Isaiah 43, verse 7. He created you for his glory. How is God glorified? Through our worship of him. So you and I are worshiping someone or something right now, whether we realize it or not. And so we need an accurate definition of what worship is because we can have it so spun out in our minds of what worship looks like and what does it mean. Well, let's look at what God says it means. And here's a definition for you off the top. Worship, true worship, is passionate expression of my love for God. So true worship is the passionate expression of my love for God Because of his love for me. Because of his love for me. And that passionate expression grows in my life. The love for God grows in my life and overflows from my life. Okay? Worship is the passionate expression. Notice that word passion. Circle that when you write it down. That's going to be key. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Expression of my love for God because of his love for me that grows in my life and overflows from it. Because here's the reality why we need an accurate definition of worship. An accurate picture of what worship, true worship, truly entails. Because there's a problem. You and I have a problem today. This world has a worship problem today. And without a right biblical understanding of what true worship is and what God requires of us for it, here's the reality. The worship of our hearts will exchange the glory of God that is available to us for the lies and idols of this world that will deceive us and never satisfy us and ultimately leave us empty. Without a true biblical understanding and practice of true worship, that's where we go. We exchange the glory of God for idols. And C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. That's penetrating. Just think about that for a second. Idols, idols of food, idols of family, idols of finances, idols of job, idols of possession, idols of status, you name it, it will break your heart. It's not meant to fill it. So let me ask you a question. What are you worshiping right now? What is that for you? What are you submitting yourself under and elevating on the altar of your heart? We'll get into that in a little bit. Because here in this text, love this text, Jesus is speaking with a woman from Samaria and gives what is perhaps, what is perhaps the greatest teaching on worship 
in all of scripture. The truth of worship that all other forms and functions of it must hang on. If, there's, if worship's a wheel, what the text we're going to look at, what Jesus says today is the hub and the spokes, every other form is coming off it. Okay? So we can't miss this because if you miss this, our worship is exchanged. And Jesus tells us the three essential truths that we must recognize if we as individuals and us as the church corporately are to be faithful in our worship of him by lifting high his name and ultimately fulfilling the purpose for which we were created to bring him glory. Ready? Let's dive in. John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must, imperative, must worship in spirit and in truth. Well here we see first off that to lift high the name of Jesus Christ in our worship we must recognize that true worship is not focused on externals. It's not focused on the externals. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour's coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. A little bit of context here. Uh, this woman that Jesus is speaking to is a Samaritan woman. She's a Samaritan woman who had come to draw water from the same well that Jesus was seated at. And you have to understand, don't miss this. This is a big deal what's happening right here. The fact that Jesus would engage a discussion, Jesus being a Jew, would engage in a discussion with a Samaritan woman because Jews and Samaritans didn't speak to each other. They hated each other. They hated each other. Couldn't stand to be in the presence of one another. They would purposely, when traveling around Israel, go around Samaria, the Jews would, to get to where they needed to go, even though it took hours longer. Why? Because the Samaritans, the Samaritans looked, they were looked upon as half-breed people who were both Jewish. They were a mixture of Jewish and Gentile people from different nations, different ethnicities in their origin. They were non-Jewish people. Samaritans were non-Jewish people who came to live in Israel and intermarried with the Jewish people who were already living there. And if you know anything, the Jewish culture uh, took the purity of its culture very seriously. And so you have these people coming from different nations and intermarrying. But to top that off, that wasn't the only thing. To top it off, the Samaritans only believed the first five books of the Bible were authoritative. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was it, the Pentateuch. That's all they took as the authority. The rest of the Old Testament, no. So not only were they looked on, they basically, in the Jews' eyes, they were committing racial and religious heresy. Okay? And this was reason to shun them. But here the conversation that Jesus is talking about with this woman focuses on the true worship of God. He engages her. And, it, and specifically in this verse about the proper place of worship. Okay, where are we supposed to go to worship? And the mountain, look what he says in verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The mountain Jesus is speaking of is called Mount Gerizim. Okay, everyone say Gerizim. Gerizim. 
Gerizim, all right? And so all of the Samaritans believed that the place of worship was to be on Mount Gerizim in Samaria, the northern part of Israel, okay? But the Jews, as you see here, Jesus says, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The Jews thought worship was only supposed to happen at the temple in Jerusalem. So we've got this worship war going on, okay? All right? Worship war happening. No, you're only supposed to worship in Jerusalem. No, you're only supposed to worship on Mount Gerizim. But see what happens here. Jesus sees the debate that is shaping up here and promptly kiboshes it. Ready? I love this. See what he says? Promptly kiboshes it by saying, look at this, verse 21, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The hour that Jesus is speaking of there is the time of his death, burial, and resurrection, which was coming soon after that time. And you see what he says here, the hour's coming when it's not gonna matter where you worship. Because at that point, with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the grave, the physical location of worship isn't going to matter anymore. Praise the Lord, amen? Praise the Lord. You don't have to take a pilgrimage to get to a certain spot in order to worship. At that moment, when Jesus rose from the grave, he absolutely obliterated the places of worship that they were holding up as the only place to do it. And you'll see why he says this in a moment. Look at verse 22. He goes on to say, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. See, here's the issue. Here's the issue, again, that's going on here. Since the Samaritans did not have the full revelation of God, they didn't know all about God through the whole Old Testament, because they only believed the first five books. They didn't have the full revelation, or they didn't believe it. They didn't know who it was they were actually worshiping because they didn't know the whole truth. So here they are, trekking to the mountain, going through the practices, going through the performance, and yet not knowing who they're worshiping. They didn't have the full revelation. And instead of offering true worship to God that comes from knowing who he is, they were just engaging in the external actions of performance in their worship. Let me ask you a question. Are you... Am I, are we as a church engaging external actions, going through the motions, coming to the place, but yet we're not true worshipers because our hearts are far from the Lord? See, in contrast, the Jews had the Old Testament. They had the full resume. They believed the whole Old Testament up to that point, so they did not, they understood the truth of who they worshiped. And I love where Jesus says, verse 22, you worship what you don't know, we worship what we know. Here it is, for salvation is from the Jews. The Greek word there means deliverance. For deliverance is from the Jews. Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, came from the Jewish people and would be the one who, through his death and resurrection, would make external places and practices or performances of worship a non-issue. Because from that point on, true worship would come from the heart. Okay, just stop for a second. Let's bring it into today's context, okay? You think this is just a a biblical times issue? This exact same thing's going on today. Look at society. Maybe in this room right now. It happens in my heart. 
people all over the world believing that true worship is that which is offered only in a certain place and are putting tremendous pressure on themselves to act in certain ways externally so they can please their gods with their worship of them. It's happening all over the world. You know, it would look something like this. Worship in these certain clothes. Pray facing this direction only. Worship only in this place. If you, if you do this or get to this place, you're going to earn more favor with God. And It's happening all the time. And, and here's the only thing, guys. It's, it's even happening in churches around the world today who are supposedly offering the true worship to the Lord. Don't believe me? Here's a quote by A.W. Tozer. I think you'll, you'll see the issue here. It says this. The art, and I would say the heart of worship, has been lost, and in its place has come the strange and foreign thing called program. The art of worship has been lost. And in its place comes that strange and foreign thing called the program. Caught up in the externals about stuff. That's why I love scaling back like this. This interrupts the program. We interrupt your regular scheduled programming to bring you this message. It's not about this. It's about the heart. It's about him. And we see this, we fall into this. How about you? How about you? How about me? Are we doing the same thing? Are we doing the same thing? Worship's about my preferences, my practices, the place. And so I'm going to keep worship to Sunday morning because it only happens in the church. No, we'll look at that in a little bit. My preferences. Well, if I don't see a full band up here, I can't really worship. And maybe worship for you is only about the songs you sing at church or maybe you're doing all the right actions and saying the right things or doing the right things and believing that somehow Jesus is being glorified through your hands even though your heart is far from him and hardened to him in that. I was giving a brief devotional to part of our Harvest Kids team this morning exhorting them in this very thing. We can be doing all of the right practices but our hearts can be very hardened. And as such, it is not true worship at that point. First Samuel 16, 7b says this, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. And it is very possible to become hardened in our worship of God, but remain very religious in our practices. I love how John MacArthur sums this up. He says, worship must be internal, not simply external conformity to ceremonies and rituals. It must be from the heart. You know, I challenge our worship team with this. I challenge our service teams with this. And I have to challenge myself with this because we can get so locked into this is how we do it. This is the, the place. This is the practice. I said, if the Holy Spirit didn't show up this week, would you notice, church? Would you notice? Would I? Josh, would you, if the Holy Spirit didn't show up? And are our hearts tied to Christ that tightly that we would? 
See, what Jesus says to this woman is that because of the death he was about to die to pay the penalty for the sins of the world and his resurrection three days later, all those who put their faith and trust in him as their savior can worship him in every part of their lives. It's no longer some external practice. It's a lifestyle of worship that is overflowing from the heart because true worship from our hearts would not be tied, get this, true worship from our hearts is not tied to external holy places or holy practices, but it is tied perfectly to the holy person himself, Jesus Christ. That's where it flows out of. That's true worship. And so now, now you see what this does? See what Jesus Christ did here? A lifestyle of worship. Now you're worshiping at work. It's no longer just a job. You're worshiping changing diapers. Yeah, get an amen. Yeah, you're worshiping changing diapers. And you're like, really? This reeks and it's messy and it's all over you. Welcome to the lifestyle of worship in that moment. It's now worshiping in the classroom when you're learning and when you're doing those assignments. It's never just another assignment. It's another platform for worship. It's no longer, oh, i got to put up with my spouse. It is, I get to worship the Lord by serving them. It's no longer, oh, it's just downtime to kill. Killing time? Really? You're already running out. Why would you kill it more? It's now worshiping in your free time. It's worshiping through your exercise. It's worshiping in your service to the church. It's no longer just looking at that little baby in the nursery and being like, okay, I'll put in my time. I'll do the practice. But really, it's like I get to intercede over this child because there's a whole world that wants to take them away from the gospel and I've been charged to stand in the gap for them. The next knock on your door could be them being taken away from you. If you uphold biblical authority in your home, it's never just another moment. It is worship in them. It's no longer about a place or practice, but a lifestyle, loved ones. This is where it starts. And when our worship stops being about some external conformity, we begin to see that to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, we must recognize that true worship, here it is, point two, true worship is focused on Jesus Christ alone. Focused on Jesus Christ alone. Look at verse 23. Love what Jesus says here. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship, true worshipers, circle the word true, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The hour, Jesus says in verse, the first part of that verse, Jesus again is referring to his pending death, burial, and resurrection. He says, and is now here. You see that? It's no longer just coming. Now it's here. Now it's here. What's he talking about? Even though Christ's death had not yet come, through his life on earth, in that very moment, that Samaritan woman was witnessing it, God was revealing himself in the flesh through his son to the world. To see Jesus Christ was to see the son of God, the exact imprint of God the Father's nature, the radiance of the glory of God himself. And as such, even at this time, people could have him as the focus of their worship and be true worshipers of him. Love that. He says, it's right now. It's right now. And look what he goes on to say, back half of verse 23. The hour's coming is now here. Here it is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Notice that word they use here, true worshipers. 
True worshipers. What's that mean? Greek means this. Genuine or sincere. True, genuine, sincere, devoted. Those who, are, those who exalted Christ from a heart that was genuine in its love for him and worship God the Father through him. And he says, how does he, what does true worship look like? I love how God's word is so clear. It just makes it so clear for us. What does true worship look like? He says two ways. Here it is. First one, spirit. See that? We'll worship the Father in spirit. This is it. If I could sum up the spirit in true worship, it is this. Uh, knowing Christ in your heart. Knowing Christ in your heart. And although all true worship, get this, clarification. Although all true worship is directed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus isn't speaking of the Holy Spirit here, but rather the spirit of the person, the human heart. Okay? The very, as Proverbs 4.23 says, the wellspring of life, where all of your emotions, all of your action, all of your thinking flows out of. It's a picture of the heart of a person, the center of them. And this is worship that is given from a wholehearted commitment to God by a life fully surrendered to him. And you know where it all starts? You know where it all starts? By confessing to the Lord that you are a sinner I am a sinner in need of a savior. And no matter how much practice I try to do, no matter how many places I go to offer worship to you, it is, hear me, hear me, loved ones, it is absolutely impossible to offer true worship to our savior without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot do it. It does not exist. You can't do it. It comes from bowing my life before the Lord and saying, I repent of my sin, I confess you as my Lord and Savior, and I humble myself under your authority to do what you want me to do in the power of your spirit for the glory of your name. And you know what happens? Something so beautiful happens when you're there and you've been adopted as the son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This spirit worship comes forward out of you in humility You live lives of humility and brokenness when you see the sin in your life, you see the sin of this world and you're broken over the sin because it breaks God's heart and you live lives of repentance and you're ascribing worth to him and you're passionate about it. We're not sitting there with our hands in our pockets. We're passionate because we realize what we've been saved from. That's awesome. That is awesome. You say you must increase God, you are my God. Glorious, I must decrease. I'm not on the throne of my heart anymore. Neither is my pride. Take me off, Lord. And you know what? I gotta tell you. I've been in this church since the beginning. Praise the Lord. And I know many of your stories and what you're going through right now. And when I come in and I see you, some very hard trials whether it's sickness, whether it's conflict. Whether... And when I see you in this room and your hands are raised and there's tears down your face and you're crying out to your Savior, that's awesome. That's the beauty of a heart that is surrendered to Jesus. That's what happens. But he doesn't stop there. He says the first way to worship and true worship is through spirit but look at the next part he says it can't be detached from this we'll worship the father in spirit and in truth and in truth if I could sum this up I'd say it's this if, if spirit is knowing Christ in your heart 
Truth is knowing Christ in your head. Knowing who it is you're worshiping. All right? Worship of God that comes from knowing the universal and unchanging truth of who God is through his word. It's not dependent on man's interpretation. It's not some relevant, well, truth is relevant, so this is who I believe God is. Who does God say he is? All right? It's knowing Jesus Christ as we get in front of the word of God every day. And we find out all of a sudden when you walk in here, no matter what's going on in your week, you say, I'm worshiping the creator of the universe. I am worshiping the one who sustained me last night to be able to come here. You are awesome. You are holy. You are righteous. I am worshiping the savior of the world. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. And he's seeking me out to worship him like this. That is awesome. How can we stand there and look bored in church? It's impossible. When you recognize who your creator is, it just can't happen like that. Because there's an overflow of your heart, but it's connected and joined with the knowledge, a faithful knowledge, a biblical knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And that is beautiful. That is true worship in his sight, loved ones. That is what we pray. He's our father. He's our friend. He's good in that trial right now. Can you come in that trial right now, in that confusion right now, and you're wondering, can I trust him? The answer is yes. Yes, you can. He's worthy to be worshipped. You don't have to wait till you feel better. You can worship him right now because he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, to grow in the word, this is why being in the word of God, every, literally every day, exhort our people in this, I'll exhort you in this, like unashamedly, being in the word of God, to grow in the word of God is to grow in true worship. One fans into flame the other. So you don't just come and turn it on on Sunday morning when you get to the place of worship. What happens here should be an overflow of what's been happening Monday to Saturday with you and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as you do business together. His word fans into flame a desire to worship and worshiping him fans into flame a desire to get into the word. That's why when people say, I'm just not really passionate in worship, the first question I ask is, how's your time in the word? Is it just a check mark? Or are we sitting in front of the King of Kings and saying, teach me. See, because the reality is this. When we realize the unchanging truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us, we are not content to stand before him with our hands in our pockets and our minds distracted and look bored in church. It's impossible. See, one commentator put it this way. True worship is both informed with your head and intimate in your heart. Okay, and this is probably the biggest area of worship wars we see in the church today. Which is it, spirit or truth? It's both. It's both. Having both these elements is crucial because, here, you'll see it on the screen so you can write this down. Having head knowledge without heart knowledge just brings us to intellectualism. Shoulders up worship. Yeah, I know about Christ in my head. God, you are my God. Glorious, glorious. Yeah, I know God's my God intellectualism. Our goal is not to become intellectual Christians. Our goal is to become true worshipers. Shoulders up, worship happens 
when all God is is a concept and we know about him. And you know what it hit me as I was prepping this? We've somehow got this idea that the more Bible we know, the more of the Bible we know, the less passionate in our heart we become. It's like the holy man of God or woman of God is the one that walks around with their head down and long beard and serious. and That's false. Oh, well, you're a new Christian. I love how you all get excited when it's brand new and everything like that. Wait 10 years. Really? Wait 10 years? You should be off the chair. Be like, yes! I got 10 more years of growing in the Lord and I've been reminded of his promises. Why would I stop growing in my passion for him? Doesn't work like that, loved ones. Because here's the reality. Head knowledge without heart knowledge is intellectualism. But you need to know who you're worshiping, the truth. Because here's what happens. Heart knowledge without head knowledge is just emotionalism. Feelings-based. Feelings-based. I'm going to worship my God changing my kid's diaper or in the office today or when I come to church or serving in the church when I feel like it. When things are going well for me. And I feel it. But if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to worship. See, here's, here's, the, um, here's the thing with that. Worship that is based in emotion will only last until you don't feel like doing it anymore. Worship that is based strictly on emotion will only last until you don't feel like doing it anymore. Then you just start, you notice this? Then you just start complaining about the very outlets that God has given you to worship him through. The music's too loud. The serving is too inconvenient. My kids are frustrating me again. My spouse is irritating me. My job is too boring. See what happens? These are all outlets of worship. But when it's all based on feeling, we start to actually get negative and complain about the very outlets God has put in front of us to be worshiping him through. That's what happens. Because here's the reality, loved ones. Um, Feelings can be good followers, but they are horrible worship leaders. Your feelings and mine are just absolutely horrible worship leaders. It had, true worship must be grounded in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And then when you do that, you seriously say, try to stay in a bad mood. Just try. When you look at the unchanging truths of Jesus Christ and his love for you. This is why it's essential to worship in spirit and truth. Because the truth is unchanging and it recalibrates our hearts to what is true and what God promises to bless as he is blessed through our worship of him. So how about you? How about you? How about me? Question, just straight up. Are you worshiping in spirit and truth? Am I? Okay, let me, let me rephrase that. Put it a different way. Who or what are you worshiping right now? Who's your worship all about right now? Who or what is on the altar of your heart that has taken the place of the only one who's worthy of it? How about in your trials? Who's on the altar of your heart as you go through sometimes those pains, taking ones that I confess, I confess, we've been through trials as a family, as individuals, and I can't even imagine some of the trials that you're going through right now, but I do know by God's grace, the one who's Lord over it. Is that fueling your worship in the trial? 
You know, who's, who's on the altar of your heart when it comes to your money? See, that's why I love giving offering in the church. Why? Because it's expression of worship. It's saying, God, I trust you. I can't give you. I'm going to give you a faithful portion back. And we're called to be generous in different areas with our finding. Who's on the altar of your heart with your money that God has given you? Who's on the altar of your heart when it comes to serving in the church? Well, I can't. I'll just let everyone else serve. You're missing out on, I will tell you this, you are missing out on one of the greatest opportunities God has given you to worship in this church. I guarantee it. And it's stunting your growth in him. It's quenching his spirit in you. Because we were made to do it. How about this? And how we spend our time and our thoughts. Where does our thoughts and our free, free time go? Our entertainment, our groceries, our parenting, our laundry, our cutting the grass. Who's the Lord on your heart in those moments? And I confess, loved ones, as a parent, too often the Lord of my heart is me. I had one of the most humbling experiences yesterday, repenting to my two-year-old and saying, will you please forgive me, Caleb, for my impatience with you? And he was a very kind and gracious two-year-old. And he said, yes, Dad. Praise the Lord. You see, notice this. Worship, when you say, well, how's cutting the grass worship? How's changing the diaper? Listen, worship does not always need to look spectacular. But true worship is always supernatural. Doesn't always need to look spectacular. Changing a baby's diapers doesn't look spectacular from that angle. Trust me. Right? But it can be supernatural when it's done for the glory of God. It can be worship. And Christ calls us to a lifestyle of worship that overflows from every part of our lives in every moment. That's why it's never just another moment. It's never just another vacation. It's never just another opportunity to sit down with your spouse. It's never just another opportunity to serve in the church. Trust me. And all of these opportunities, do you ever think about this, loved ones? All these opportunities are so undeserved. We don't deserve these. We don't deserve to get to work in the church. We don't deserve to change our kids. We don't deserve the spouse we have. All of them are so undeserved and they are given to us by the mercy of God as an opportunity to humble ourselves under him and ascribe worth to him regardless of how we may feel about them in the moment. Because it's spirit and truth. Heart and head. And just brought the question and ask yourself this. I had asked myself, I was so challenge with this this week how different would our attitudes and our actions be if we looked upon each of these opportunities as a gift from the Lord to worship him yes in the trial in the sickness as a gift from the Lord to worship him with rather than a task or a situation that just needs to be completed and get through it God allows things into our lives as a gift but when it's based on just the spirit spirit part of us, the human spirit, without recognizing the unchanging truths of who Christ is and his promises, we begin to complain, get negative, and it just takes us down a very deceptive road quickly. You'll see it on here. David Mathis said this, the heart of worship is not service, music, and song itself, but heads and hearts in joyful awe of the real Jesus. Joyful awe. I pray that as we take communion in a few moments, I pray that as we 
you come into church, I pray that as you get to go home and be with your families or your coworkers or your neighbors or whatever it is you're doing, there's a joyful awe because of who Jesus Christ is that is invading your hearts and overflowing into the lives of those that he's entrusted to you in an act of worship. To lift high the name of Jesus, we must recognize that true worship is not focused on the externals, but it is focused on Jesus Christ alone in spirit and in truth. And God makes it very clear that if we are to be true worshipers, last point today, it must be this way. There's no other option to truly worship our Father. No matter what the world says you can do, what other religions say you can do, it must be this way. How do we know? He tells us. That's cool. Love it. Verse 24. God is spirit. And those who worship him must, circle must, it has to be this way, must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, the spirit there, when he says God is spirit, this is saying, Jesus is saying, God is invisible and divine as opposed to being some shrine or human being. Something you can see unless he chooses to reveal himself to you as he did through Jesus Christ. And he says, must worship. They must worship in spirit and truth. This means that true faithful worship to God can only be done through his son, Jesus Christ. It can only be done through Jesus Christ. And true worshipers can only be those who have a personal relationship with him by repenting of their sin and surrendering their lives to him as their Lord and Savior. These are the worshipers God is seeking. No other religion has a God that's seeking out people to worship him like this. Jesus Christ was seeking you and me and he came to earth and died for your sins upon the cross to draw you to himself and adopt you as his son or daughter that you can say, here I am to worship. And he says, here I am. Taste and see the Lord is good. No other religion offers that. I don't care what they try to push. Nothing, Robert Mounts, commentator Robert Mounts said this, nothing but a genuine personal relationship with Christ will meet the requirements of worshiping God's kingdom. God needed a perfect sacrifice. He's a holy God. We cannot be in his presence without Jesus Christ, a perfect savior. 